This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DiStefano. In this hopeful yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this Shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle-earth or the Shire is your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books from Choir Publishing. Friends, yeah, how we doing? Um, we made it. Episode three out of three is here. This is a um, thought-provoking and powerful conversation with my friend Daniel. He is a Christian Palestinian, and he has a lot to say, and I let him say it. Now, I want to give a few, maybe just caveats. I mean, he we we say these things during the recording. We say these things all throughout the interview. Um, but I'm going to say it again here. The first thing I want to make emphatically clear is that both me and my guest, Daniel, denounce and condemn the Hamas attacks 100%. Here's why I say that. I did ask Daniel to give us the context and cultural situations that gave birth to Hamas, which he does. To some people, that might seem like he's somehow sympathizing or supporting Hamas. He emphatically does not. And he says that many times throughout the interview, but I want to make sure that you are all very clear on our end, both me and Daniel condemn Hamas and what they did in the strongest terms possible. You can critique the nation state of Israel without being anti-Semitic and still supporting Jewish people for you know their flourishing and their rights and all of that. And you can critique Hamas and still be pro-Palestinian. All right, that's important for you to know. I also want to just kind of ground this in some data. I've been following the news as much as I can. I have some things I want to read. I want to give a trigger warning right now. This is not um, comfortable stuff. This is just some data regarding what's actually happened between Israel and Palestine. If you have kids in the car, you might want to skip this part. Or if you're just sensitive to more you know, um, graphic depictions of things, Regarding violence, you can go ahead and skip this part. But here's where we're currently at. Right now, 1,300 people were killed in Israel because of, of Hamas's attack, attacks. 1,500 people, including 500 children, have been killed in the Gaza Strip due to the retaliation from Israel. The Gaza Strip is completely cut off from electricity, food, and water, which means that hospitals don't have access to the supplies that they need to help the injured uh, citizens and just normal everyday civilians who are trying to survive. Human Rights Watch, it's a website, has confirmed that Israel has used white phosphorus in Gaza, Gaza, which does violate international humanitarian law because of how densely populated Gaza is. Um, I, I saw a video of a boy, maybe 12 years old with bandages all over his face, trying to comfort his father who was looking on in shock and horror 
at the damage done to his son. I'm just trying to give you a small glimpse of of what is happening. Hamas descended on a concert festival in Israel, killing over 250 people, taking hostages, and some eyewitnesses have reported that women were raped. Um, I myself have seen pictures of elderly and women um, shot to death uh, by the attacks from Hamas and just left to die in their own blood. So there's a lot going on, I'm sure. And also, I, I want to mention this too. There's been a lot of information that's just hard to verify. I'm sure you've heard about this story that uh, Hamas soldiers um, murdered 40 babies and decapitated some of them. And then I saw that that the IDF would not confirm that. And then I saw that they would confirm that. And then I saw Joe Biden say that he saw pictures, but then the White House rolled that back saying, no, he didn't see the pictures. And then most recently, as of this recording, um, the IDF released some pictures that they're saying are of the children to try and, and, and prove that, yes, this, this did happen. And I've heard so many other stories in this vein that have either been disproven or not true or are true, but at first weren't seen as true. So I know that there's a lot is what I'm trying to tell you. I know that this is heavy and we're, we're, we're trying to make sense of the fog. And this conversation with Daniel, I think, will really help you understand the Palestinian plight, uh, how Palestinians see this. And then, of course, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, what does it mean to love your enemy? When you are living in the Gaza Strip, when when you have watched maybe your own child die, when you've seen friends die, as Daniel has, this is a very powerful episode. I recommend doing your best to listen to all of it. I think it will really help you humanize what is, in our context, the other um, the other side, based on how, how we've come to understand this whole situation in our American lens and our, you know, in our evangelical tradition of you always stand with the nation of Israel no matter what. And those people over there are just evil and vile and deserve what's happened to them. That's kind of the mantra. Daniel helps us remember that these are human beings made in the Imago Day. So yeah, this is powerful. I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you. There's some stuff that might might make you go, ooh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure if if I'm comfortable with that. Good. Good. That's why I spent a lot of hours this week making this podcast series possible so we can get out of our comfort zones and realize um, more, uh, so we can realize more of the fullness, get a a clearer picture of what's going on, and that things are rarely as binary as they're presented to us. So I hope you enjoyed this. I would love your feedback. So many of you have given me great feedback. It it means the world. I'm so glad I was able able to put this series together for you. I am working on potentially a bonus episode. Um, I don't have it confirmed yet, so I don't want to announce it yet. But if I do make that possible, it will come out sometime next week. Um, if you want to support the work that we do, we are a nonprofit. We're able to do this work because people donate. Um, and that's how I was able to get three podcast episodes out with three legitimate you know, experts um, uh, on the situation to you as soon as possible. So you can donate via the link in our show notes. All donations are tax deductible. I'm sorry if my cadence is kind of off. I'm so tired. It's 10.30 p.m. I'm recording this interview, uh, this intro. I have to stop this and edit everything and get it out for Friday morning, which is in less than 12 hours from now. So I, I, I still have a lot of work ahead of me. But anyway, thanks for being here, friends. It means the world. And uh, check out this interview. Give me your feedback. If you want to donate, link is in the show notes. It helps make this work possible. So please consider doing it. It just means the world. Um, and it helps. Yeah, I said it four times, but it helps make the work possible. Without that, this stuff doesn't happen. So all right, friends. 
Talk to you all later on. I'm going to try and get this done, get some sleep. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, um, my friend, Daniel Benora, it is good to see you again. The last time we spoke was about two years ago, and I had you on an Instagram Live talking about what we're going to talk about today. So it is good to see you, and thanks for making time. It really means a lot. It's good to be with you, Tim. It's kind of sad that that's when we talk. Whenever like some big, like bad thing is happening, we we talk. But otherwise, it's so good to be with you for sure. Yeah. Why don't you give us a little introduction? Uh, who are you? Give us your background, some things that are, maybe are good for us to know, and then we'll hop into it. Yeah. So my name is, is Daniel Banura. I am a Palestinian. I'm also a Palestinian Christian. And there is a small number of Palestinian Christians out there. Right now, when we talk about Palestinians uh, who live in the land, who are Christian, when I say the land, I'm talking about all of the land, Palestine, Israel. We can talk about the terminology if that's important. I think it is important what language we use when we talk about Palestine, the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine, Israel. But in the whole of the land, the Palestine, the Christian Arab or Christian Palestinian population is about 5%. Now, I live in um, the West Bank, um, and I am from the city of Bethlehem. Uh, and in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, only 1% of the population is, is Christian. So I was born in Jerusalem. My family is from Bethlehem, actually from a small town next to Bethlehem. It's called Beit Sahur in Arabic, and that's the biblical shepherd's field. So I'm a, I'm a, we, we say this about ourselves. We are the descendants of the shepherds. Mm. So we're, we are the first ones who proclaim the gospel. Like I am mm. the descendant of those uh, shepherds. So that's kind of that's my family. Banura, my family is one of the big tribes in Beit Sahur, in that little town by Bethlehem. I am currently in the U.S. I am a PhD candidate at the University of Notre Dame. I um, work. I do my PhD in theology. I specifically work on late antique history, uh, on Islam, on the formation of the Quran, the the text of the Quran, and its relationship to Christianity in its own kind of world. Hmm. Um, but kind of being a Palestinian also comes with its own kind of discourse that, you know, when you talk to me many times, I, I'm more like involved in in conversations about Palestinian, the Palestinian identity, about what we call Palestinian theology, um, how Palestinians have been trying, Palestinian Christians have been engaging with a lot, of, a lot of the challenges that we face in as Palestinians when it comes to the Bible in response to Christian Zionism, and we can talk about that, and also in response to the what is called the Palestinian-Israeli conflict or the reality, the political reality on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's about it for now. Well, I think the first question I have to ask you is, how are you holding up? You know, I've been following the news. I've been trying to get out of the Western legacy news channels. I've been following things like Al Jazeera a little bit more, just trying to get my, my head around what's happening. And I mean, I don't have a lot of words, but I have to ask you, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Yeah, no, I thanks for that question, Tim. Um yeah, I'm not I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Uh no one is okay. Uh it's been a tough um 5 days now. Today's Thursday, so since Saturday since the attack by Hamas, I've been I've been going through the all the emotions uh from anger, from confusion, from fear, from wrath, from disappointment. It's been very hard. Um Yeah, m- my family's okay in Bethlehem. It's kind of um, the West Bank right now is under lockdown. So all of the checkpoints that exist in the West Bank. So uh, just to explain the context for the audience, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip are under what we call an Israeli occupation. It's a different dynamic in Gaza. It's a blockade. Um, 
but basically uh, the West Bank is divided into these areas where the Palestinians live. And then they have the Israeli military occupation that controls that area within the population. So we have these checkpoints. We have a wall that kind of surrounds and kind of snakes through the territories and the land in, in the West Bank. And we have these checkpoints that basically regulate the movement of Palestinians. So if you want to go from one city, like for example, myself, if you want to go to from Bethlehem and I want to go down south to Hebron, I have to cross a checkpoint as I exit from Bethlehem and I have to cross a checkpoint as I enter into, into, into Hebron. So all of our movement is kind of regulated by the military force. Um, this is what we call the the military occupation. So uh, all the cities are in lockdown now. You cannot leave uh, anywhere. So thankfully, it is safe in, in Bethlehem. There have been um, some, since the attacks on Saturday, there have been some kind of scuffles throughout the West Bank, especially in Hebron in the south and also in the north in Nablus. But my family is okay. Uh, but it's not so okay in, in Gaza right now. It's horrendous, like the footage we're getting from Gaza for those who are actually following the news. And there's a huge problem now, like there's a big handicap right now for anyone who's listening to this audio, to this podcast is they're not really exposed to actually what is actually happening. You see like rockets from outside, you see the footage and there's no one actually in Gaza except Al Jazeera, I think. All the kind of Western media is going from the outside, embedded mostly in the Israeli like military and the communities, but not actually in Gaza. So but the, the footage we're getting from Gazans is, is horrifying. Um, so far, uh, 1,400 uh, Gazans were killed. Uh, the majority of them are civilians. 60, 60% actually, to be more specific, 64% of those who have been killed in Gaza are either children or women. Uh, just today, Thursday, 151 uh, Gazans were killed. We're talking about more than 400 Gazans, uh, 400 children, 460 children or so um, were killed uh, so far from Gaza. These are toddlers, infants. I've seen horrifying images coming out of that. Um, of course, on the flip side, so far, I think the numbers we have about uh, Israeli civilians and Israeli citizens, military and otherwise, who have been killed are like 14, 1,300 Israelis and about you know 1,400 Palestinians. Um, but yeah, the footage is, is horrendous. Like I said, you see like whole apartments um, are just kind of collapsing. Whole neighborhoods are kind of raised to the ground. Um, I'm, I haven't, I, I've been messaging some of my friends in Gaza and we have some extended family. Like my cousin, for example, is married to someone's, someone who's, her family is in Gaza. And yeah, I, I, we can't get in touch with them. There's no power. Israel cut power in Gaza. There's no power. There's no water. There's no electricity. There's no food. It's basically like they're trapped in this kind of concentration camp with nothing coming into them, into into the Gaza Strip. This is kind of this kind of collective punishment that Israel is enforcing on the Palestinians there. Um, I know of I've, a friend of mine told me that there are about um, 20 Christian families in Gaza. So Gaza wouldn't know this. This is maybe too complex. We don't want to think about it, but there are many Christians in Gaza. Um and there are 300 Christian Gazans right now who lost all of their homes, all of their apartments, and, um, and are now sheltering in a church. Um, yesterday, they were able to secure food from a restaurant, and then today the restaurant told them that there's no food left. They cannot give them food today. There is no water, and there is no food. Uh, and there's no there's no power. We cannot connect with them. We don't know what's happening to them. And you kinda, you you expect the worst sometimes about if they're still alive or not. 
white phosphorus has been used as well in the Gaza Strip, and you see the footage, and this is white phosphorus is illegal internationally to use, in, especially in civilian areas. And yeah, it's just very tough, and um, just my heart breaks for the people in Gaza. Um, 50% of the population of Gaza is is um, under like 16 years old. The, the Half of the population is young. And that's because there's such a low um, life expectancy for Gazans because of the whole log, long blockade and what's been happening to, to them and the white phosphorus being used frequently and just horrendous kind of medical conditions. But the majority of Gazans have not experienced freedom, have not been expo- exposed to any kind of resemblance of normalcy. And the last 16 years since a big blockade on Israel and Gaza began in 2007, Israel waged five wars on Gazans. And here, Gaza Gaza has been compared to an open air prison. Yeah, I've heard that term before. And I don't think it's even like it's like the largest open air prison in the world. But I don't think that's even an accurate description because being in a prison, presume, presumably you're guilty. That's why you're in jail. It's more like a concentration camp. You have you're kind of stuck in this concentration camp, this massive concentration camp, highly heavily heavily populated. You have the guards, the watchtowers, the machine guns, the drones watching you, the Israeli military surrounding you, and it's considered unlivable. I was there in 2020 before the pandemic hit, and it's just heartbreaking. But now, just with the footage of what you're seeing, it just just insane, just the amount of loss and tragedy in Gaza, just heartbreaking. So yeah. Long story short, I'm I'm not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. I mean, I, it's it's understandable why. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. You mentioned these blockades, or the I'm sorry, these uh, checkpoints that you have to go through when you're in, you know in the West Bank and traveling. What does that mean? Like 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 if you're just going down a highway, uh, there's a place that makes you stop where they check your ID, check your papers. Is that what that is? We don't have highways in, in the West Bank. The Israelis have highways, but not highways. We have um, bypass roads and we have like small, tiny roads that we have to go through. Um, I just would have to show you a map. I guess the audience would just have to like look, look up the West Bank map and kind of would see what that looks like. But basically, it's, uh, it's a very segmented area. It looks like um, Swiss cheese, if you will. The vast majority of the West Bank is controlled heavily by Israel. You have the settlements and you have... Uh, just the, these bypass roads and, and and highways even for the settlers and Palestinians are kind of peppered in the holes in that kind of Swiss cheese. So you have to go between the hole and the hole. You have to go through these roads that are designed to navigate the Palestinian away from the Jewish, the Jew-only settlements to go to a different city. So for example, if I want to go to Ramallah, from Bethlehem to Ramallah, Ramallah is a town north of Jerusalem. Basically, Jerusalem is in between Ramallah and Bethlehem. If you, Tim, come to Palestine, Israel, and you want to rent a car and you drive, if you drive as an American from Bethlehem to Ramallah, you get there in 20, 30 minutes max. I, as a Palestinian, I cannot go straight up to Ramallah because Jerusalem is in the middle. So I have to go around these kind of bypass roads for Palestinians and I have to go through a, a couple of checkpoints. And that would take me like an hour and a half. So you, as a tourist on a tourist visa for like three months, you have more um, freedom of movement than me, the indigenous, the local person who was you know, born and raised in, in that area. So it's a system of control, a system of divide and conquer. This is how the military works. You want to control a mass population. So how do you do it? You control, you segment the population into this a system. Of, it's been described as a Bantustan system like you had in South Africa in the apartheid times, 
where you you have the different kind of ghetto areas where you can control and manage. And that's going to practically, that's what we have in Palestine, in the West Bank. Got it. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. I want to talk to you about um, Hamas and, and your thoughts on that. So let's just hang tight. All right. So let's talk about Hamas. I, I, I got to be honest with you, Daniel. I am. I'm just it's so hard to get like the full picture of, of who Hamas is. I, I am learning to separate Hamas from the Palestinian people. That's important. I, I want to make sure that we do that here. But can you you know, I'm hearing words like Hamas is a terrorist group. I know that, that they've been designated one by at least the U.S. and some other countries. What how? How do you think about Hamas? You know, they're the ones who launched this surprise attack on, you know, um, on the nation state of Israel, et cetera. What are your thoughts on Hamas and how do you work with them? Or, or I guess reconcile. Yeah, so for, right, yeah. Um, yeah, for those, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm sure everyone knows what happened, but in Saturday morning, like at 6.30 a.m. local time in, in Palestine, um, for some odd reason, we don't really understand how they were able to do it to break the, basically the most secure border in the world, uh, but somehow Hamas was able to break uh, break out of jail, if you will, or break out of the concentration camp. And they just went around on a rampage, um, basically killing every man, every Israeli or Jewish man they could find. Um, we saw some footage that is really interesting and kind of complicates how we think about them because the narrative in the US right now is Hamas is ISIS. It's just like they're barbaric they're savages and we i want to get back to this idea this narrative about the savage and and its long history and especially in the american discourse but they went around and committed horrific crimes killing people left and right taking civilians as hostages um and breaking so many like like international rules of engagement and and really like war crimes and just heinous attacks on uh, military um uh, locations and also on civil and israeli civilians um, now Hamas, it's gonna. How do you talk about Hamas, and especially in this very charged cl- climate, and especially as a Palestinian? I think by definition, a Palestinian is excused, uh, accused. I'm sorry. Every Palestinian is basically accused. You have to basically, if anyone is gonna talk to you, the first thing they ask you, do you condemn Hamas? You know, and and that's kind of the thing. In like, you know, like, are you are you not are you racist? Like, can do you do you condemn racism? Like, like, why are you asking me these questions? Like, why am I accused? You know. Um, but it's part of the par- part and parcel of the larger narrative and huge problem that exists in the U.S., whether it's in the media, whether it's in the politics, also like for our in our case, also in churches, that there is no desire, no willing, no willingness to have any nuance in the way that we think about Arabs, in the way we think about Muslims, in the way we think about the conflict in, in, in general. And Palestinians are denied nuance. Uh, they're denied context. We don't have the right to context. There we, there's no background to the Palestinians. There's no background to Hamas. Hamas are just the savages, and ergo, they deserve to be killed because they're the savages. They have no story. They have no no thing to say and you know, no legitimate issues that they're kind of driven by. Not to excuse anything that Hamas did, and I just have to, I guess I have to keep repeat, have have to keep repeating that because I'm I'm trying to complicate the way that we think about Hamas, but generally within the political uh, environment in 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 the Palestine and the history of Palestinian resistance, Hamas is considered Hamas actually stands the the word Hamas is actually an acronym. It it means the Islamic Resistance Movement. 
So it's a kind of a resistance movement that exists in Palestine that is identified heavily by Islam and sees that armed resistance is the best way to resist Israel. So what is resistance? Uh, and that's where context is, uh, is absent. There's no context. There's no legitimacy for the Palestinian uh, struggle and identity and history. Hamas is new to the scene. Hamas only appeared in the late 80s of the last century. So they've been around for like less than 40 years or so. Um, the Palestinian struggle for freedom and liberation began in 48, even began before 48, before the establishment of the state of Israel. Let me back up. The Palestinian story today is connected, is, is, is part of a large struggle of the Palestinian people for freedom. We have been struggling for, we have been living under occupation. We have been de dealing with this reality of the colonization of our land since the early 20th century, but more concretely in 1948 when Israel was established. And the, if you will, what we call the original sin of the whole, um, the whole reality is what Palestinians call the Nakba. It's the Arabic word for the catastrophe, which is for the establishment of a Jewish homeland. Palestinians were forced out, were what we are now technically calling ethnically cleansed out of the land. You have Jewish migrants coming into Palestine, escaping persecution, driven by, Zion, by a Zionist ideology. Basically, Zionism is this landed Jewish nationalism that says to be a Jew in a nation, in a homeland, you have to have that land, and that land has to be Palestine. It came out of in the late 19th century, but it's a product, it's basically the the child of Christian Zionism, and this is kind of important for us to realize as Christians, there's this like the Christian backing or background of Zionism and also of what's happening today. Um, people like Darby and Schofield and others who, who believe that the Jews have to be in the land in Palestine for Christ to come back. That's part of the dispensation. Um, so they, they lobbied heavily and then uh, for that to happen, um, especially in, in by the late 19th century, there was a rise of Jewish Zionism, a guy called Herzl uh, from Austro-Hungary, who him and others kind of lobbied the British Empire and others to kind of facilitate their entry and their um, migration into Palestine. There's a Balfour Declaration where the British Empire basically looked favorably upon establishing a Jewish homeland in Palestine. This is the document is there without consenting, without re requiring or asking for the consent mm -hmm. of the indigenous population, which is important. For the Palestinians, this is a colonial project. Israel, for the, all the Palestinians, the indigenous inhabitants of the land who are Palestinian Muslims, the majority had been at the time, continue to be. And then you had like 11% of the population, a very sizable and significant minority was Christian. Also, you had uh, Jewish Palestinians at the time living in Palestine. This is yeah. like early 20th century, according to the British census at the time. This is like a long kind of crash course in the history of the conflict. But we cannot, what I'm trying to do here is that we cannot talk about Hamas. We cannot talk about Saturday without talking about what happened in the last 75 years. 100%. Yeah. But uh, for the Palestinians, this the establishment of the state of Israel is, a, is, a, is an act of colonization of the indigenous land. It was facilitated by the British Empire, the biggest empire, you know, in the modern history that took over, you know, it, it was called the empire where the sun never sets, right? It was all the way from the US today until Hong Kong. Um, and uh, and 
Palestinians initially didn't have any issues with some, you know, Europeans coming and living in the land. They, some of them bought land and they settled and they were, I guess, neighborly. But then eventually became clear to the Palestinians, wait, there's actually something more sinister here. They're actually planning to take our land from us. It led to some scuffles in the 20s and the 30s when the Palestinians realized, wait, this is not this is not just some people buying land. These are people are, are planning to kick us out of the land. And this is kind of evident. And we were able to discover the writings of many of the Zionist uh, authors and kind of fathers of Zionism who kind of made this clear, this is our land and we have to take it. Um, and the claim was like, hey, many of them were secular Jews at the time. And they were saying, hey, God, we don't believe in God, but we believe he gave us the land. It's this kind of ideology that we're going to use the Bible, we're going to use our tradition to justify what we're doing to the Palestinians. Um, but they were aware that for that to, to, to happen, the Palestinians have to be removed. You have to transfer the population in order to establish a Jewish homeland, especially a purely Jewish homeland, or at least a majority Jewish land, homeland. Now, fast forward to 46, 47, uh, Jewish militias at the time basically began a plan, uh, what we call Plan Dalit, which is basically, the audience can look this up, Plan Dalit, which is basically their attempt to start the transfer of the Palestinians by commit committing massacres among the Palestinian populations um, throughout Palestine. The plan is to, we need to push them out so that we can take over and then establish for ourselves this fortress that we can call Israel. So began the massacres of the Palestinians began in 47 and 48 and continued and Palestinians were like hearing the news of, of like Dar Yassin and different villages and um, uh, Lifta and I can, we, we, we can talk about hundreds of Palestinian villages Ailaboon in the north, and these are like I can think of like a few Christian, like primary uh, majority Christian villages like Ailaboon in the north, Kufur Beraim in the north. These are like Christian villages that were in today what is today Israel, but then the militias just came in, massacred people, or pushed them out, um, and basically began this process of what is called the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Here I'm referring to the work of Ilan Pape, an Israeli historian the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, um, the audience could look that up. Um, and that began, that began, this is the original sin for the Jews to establish a home in Palestine that necessitated the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from their historic homeland where they lived for generations and generations. And that resulted in what we call the refugee problem. The majority of Palestinians today are refugees. At the time in 48, 750,000, more than 700,000 Palestinians became refugees suddenly. They moved to, the, to Jordan, they moved um, to what is today Lebanon and what is today Syria, and some of them moved into the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And that was begin, that's the beginning of the calamity or the problem of the Palestinian people. And that's the beginning of the struggle that since then Palestinians were pushed out, Jewish refugees from Europe came in looking for security and home. And they're on a home for themselves at the expense of the Palestinians. They built their citadel, the fortress they wanted to build to protect themselves on the on the bones and on the homes and on the lands of the Palestinians. A lot, a lot, a lot of stuff happened since '48 till now, so we can also um, deal with it. But I, I want to just quickly connect that uh, to Gaza today. Seventy percent of the of the uh, Gazan population is a refugee population. 70% are the descendants of those refugees who were kicked out from what is today Israel into the Gaza Strip. Hamas, not to, you know, not to work with the propaganda here, but Hamas 
Hamas and also many Christians are saying, this is our land. We, they took it by force through colonial powers and through terrorism. They terrorized the people out. Massacres were committed. Palestinians freaked out. They took whatever they could and put it in their bags and locked their doors and left and fled, just like anyone else, just like the Ukrainians today, just like the Iraqis and Syrians with ISIS. And they fled in the hoping, you know, when the war is over, we can go back. They're still stuck in refugee camps. Um, for the Palestinians, are saying this is our land. They have no claim to it. We have the keys to our home. So if you go to a refugee camp today, and, and anywhere like in Lebanon or in, and even in the West Bank, you see this key, the key that symbolizes the homes that they that they were forced out of. So for Hamas, are saying we are tr- the. So here maybe this is going to be messy for the audience. Hopefully you can follow with me. The Palestinian official authority, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the Palestinian Authority recognized in the 90s, early 90s, the Israeli state. Yes, I read so about this. Is this is what is called yeah, the whole right, peace okay. process. Yeah, the two-state solution. It's like, hey, what do you want, Palestinians? You've been fighting us. You've been losing. Palestinian, the Palestinian kind of group said, well, you know what? Let's just kind of go with this peace process. We want some kind of self-determination. So they signed on to this, what we call the Oslo Accord. Actually, this year is the 30th, 30th anniversary of the Oslo Agreement. If you remember the picture of uh, Bill Clinton with Yasser Arafat and it's Haq Rabin shaking hands. Kind of, that's kind of the, the idea of like, let's have a peace resolution and end this conflict. And the idea that the Palestinians would establish a homeland for themselves in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Now, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip are basically 22% of historic Palestine. So it's a big, a big um, uh, like blow for the Palestinian resistance. Like, what do you mean you're giving up eighty percent of the land? You're, it's a, it's a, it's a big sacrifice for the whole the struggle that we've been fighting to get our to claim our land back. So that is the PA, the Palestinian Authority. Many Palestinians are saying, wait, well, what do you mean we're just going to give them eighty percent? Like, is this okay? Like, that's not moral for us as indigenous populations. Also, here I want to like, if it's helpful for people. Uh, to sympathize with what I'm saying, compare this to the story, the history of Native Native Americans, right? The the natives of the land. Who this is their land, and you come, you push them out. These are the savages. Let's kill them. Let's push them into reservations. This is our land now. This is manifest destiny. This is given to us by God. This is a promised land. Kind of the same kind of similar kind of ideology. People who are suffering, like in Europe, and who escaped here in Europe from Europe to come to the promised land, and then. They committed atrocities against the natives, so it's a similar kind of dynamics. Not, not of course, not the same, but um, similar dynamics there. So Hamas is one of those that are saying we're not going to capitulate. We're not going to just give give up land. This is our land. So that discourse they've used whenever they went into Israel is we are liberating our land. Not that they're invading. Not that we're killing as uh, Jews or you know committing crime or ISIS. We're just freeing our land. Why? Again, these are the descendants, the militias, the Hamas militias, these are the descendants of 48, those who lost their land in 48. So they believe in armed resistance, uh, Palestinians, and this is kind of important for us when we think about violence and who commits violence, because uh, Hamas are the savages, right? They, they just aimlessly, irrationally, just hateful, they just want to kill Jews and kill Israelis. Uh, but Palestinian, Palestinian Hamas, as part of the Palestinian society, think whatever is taken by force, whatever is you know taken from us by force, would be regained by force. We've been killed, we've been massacred. 
Palestinians, I mean, there's a long history of trauma and hurt and heartbreak. And especially in Gaza, it's been under a blockade for 16 years, since 2007. Israel waged five wars on Gaza, 2008, 2012, 2018. Whenever we last talked in 2021, this is a, a, a population that is driven to despair and hopelessness and poverty. I've been talking with some friends. I was working on a development program in Gaza with some uh, friends, some coaches, and the the daily salary for a for a, a Gazan, if you work in construction, is thirty shekels, which is basically like seven dollars, is your daily income in Gaza. This is how poor people are in Gaza. Like it's. I've also read that in Gaza, it's like ninety percent unemployment as well. Yeah, like it's it is extremely it's high. Extremely high. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's ninety. I I thought it was like sixty or seventy. But extreme un, un, unemployment in Gaza. Um, medical conditions are terrible there is no drinkable water a, a climate that is ideal for extremism and that's kind of the point like if why like i actually was talking to a friend and like on saturday and sunday before i lost connection with them and sh- and she was saying well we're dying anyway <laughs> i like my question to her like hey uh, like are you afraid that like is, uh, israel is going to retaliate and her response was mm. we're dying anyway like for her, like there is no prospect of, oh, I don't want to fight Israel because I, I might die. It's like right. I'm dead anyway. <laughs> like it's might as well. And basically, the and then she made the and I'm like, what, what do you mean? And she was like, you know, like basically, there is no like there is no prospect for me to live anything. Like I have, I don't know what life is. It sounds know? like it, like um, like literally The Walking Dead is what it sounds like, right? People who are walking around but are just feel like there's no hope beyond. Because I'm under the impression, and please tell me if I'm wrong, that not only is Gaza completely barricaded off from the land, but also you can't even escape by water. There's an Israeli blockade a couple miles offshore that will stop you if you try and mm-hmm. get out. Is that the, is that the case? Yeah, I, I, for, I forgot the distance, but it's a few miles. They're only allowed to fish within like a mile or yeah. less than a mile or so. Uh, yeah, if anyone looks up the map of Gaza, like you can see the the barriers there. Yeah, no, they have no, they have no, like they have no access to anything. They they're enclosed by land and by and by water and by air. There's and Israeli drones and planes are like always roaming over them, scanning them, satellites and so on. This is like literally when I'm saying a constant concentration camp, I literally mean a concentration camp. Uh, and infrastructure is in disarray. And like, even now, like, like if you see the, like, how are they going to rebuild? Like, I know. the point is, um, just going back to Hamas. Yes, I mean, please. Wh- like, why wouldn't you be an extremist? Like, why wouldn't you adopt a very radical dehumanizing ideology that says, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to pick up a gun. This is the most honorable thing I can do. Uh, I've have no no future. My and also like Gazans have been killed. Like I said, five wars in the last like sixteen years. Every uh, every uh, Hamas militia member, I'm sure they have a member for a family who's dead, like a dad, a father, a daughter, you know, a sister, a, a wife. Uh, and I'm sure, like, what leads you to do something like this? By the way, Hamas was saying when the attacks happened that the all the fighters who want, went they knew they were going to die hmm. <laughs> like they knew that israel has the the military capacity to kill them off and they knew this i'm like what drives a person like this to go to battle knowing that for sure they're going to die right i'm like maybe someone who whose wife was killed in a bombing or whose kid got killed you know like we don't understand the amount of trauma and hurt and and frustration and anger that these descendants of refugees and who have been living in a blockade for 16 years 
have been have gone through for them to say you know what hamas is actually the the way for me and that's a feeling that many palestinians feel that hey the palestinian authority actually capitulated mm. um many palestinians were say we say this like the palestinian authority is the contractor for israel mm. they just do israel's bidding in the occupied territories they they have no autonomy they have no control they can't protect palestinians yeah. they're just the contractors israel pays them they have their get they get their legitimacy from the us and from israel and not from the population we haven't voted for them yeah like they're they're not voted in it, it um, seems it's if you and hamas oh God, sorry yeah. just to no, finish the point yeah, the point free. tim hamas is seen these are the honorable ones who are fighting and dying and resisting this violent aggression that is called israel yeah so yeah go ahead let's take a, qu a quick break and i'll share with you some of my thoughts after the break all right so i Listen, we, you have clear, you've said this a thousand times. I will say it again. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Neither of us are condoning or celebrating what Hamas has done. A lot of people tonight who live inside of Israel are in, are they're mourning, they're weeping, they're gnashing their teeth over what has happened. They've mm -hmm. lost people, they've lost loved ones. Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of stories. Okay. So the, none of what, what I'm going to say is an attempt to try and even uh, smooth over what they have done. If though we want to try and understand the why behind this, right? If any of, of the audience puts themselves as much as they can in in even a fraction of a situation that some of these people find themselves in, where you're in a place where you have no freedom at all, you have no control over anything at all. It's hard to find food. It's hard to find water. You don't know if a rocket might land next door mm -hmm. to you. You just mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. On top of that, maybe one of your kids was killed. Right by 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 in his, someone in the in the Israeli uh, in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. Right, maybe your neighbors were killed, maybe your wife was killed, and right. it's not a one-time thing. Where and then there's a path to justice. There's no mm -hmm. justice, and mm -hmm. so you're sitting mm -hmm. in this environment for years mm -hmm. with absolutely no sign of hope. You know you're going to live and die here in this place of two and a half million people in a spot that is what 25 miles by like six miles wide it's 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 the, i think it's the second most densely populated so space yep. Yep. in in the world right over time you can understand i certainly i'll put it this way i can understand i can see myself mm -hmm. getting to a point where i would start taking more and more extreme measures to do whatever i had to do to mm -hmm. either a enact some kind of revenge or to do something to wake people up to what was happening. Now, again, I want to be right. once again clear. Yep, none of yep. this is a way to, to give Hamas a green light for what they did. And, and I know that a lot of Palestinians do not support Hamas. I, it's mm -hmm. complicated. Mm -hmm. It's fair. Okay. Yeah. But the conditions that we're talking about here are so unfathomable to us. But mm -hmm. for these people, are their lived daily reality mm -hmm. suffering immense loss? And might we both add, Daniel, that currently they're suffering immense loss right 500 right. children or more right. have been killed by right. the the, uh, the the retaliation um from and they're calling it that i mean this is what the israeli right. forces are right. calling it. they're yeah. calling it a, a total siege of the gaza strip they're calling it retaliation those strikes have killed i have seen too many videos daniel i don't mm -hmm. i can't see anymore i've seen mm -hmm. way too mm -hmm. many videos mm -hmm. of yeah. things that i cannot unsee that as a parent you're a parent absolutely have just been gut-wrenching okay right you're telling me as a parent, I would not go into some pretty dark places mm -hmm. at some point thinking, yeah. Yeah. what do I got to do to make this thing justified? I I can at least understand what goes into that, even if I, if I think the yeah. actions are terrible, dehumanizing, vile, not good, etc. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's spot on, Tim. And I'm, so I'll, I'll 
I'll move with this point thought here. Um, you cannot defeat Hamas. <laughs> like you can defeat, you can kill the military leaders. You can kill the establishment. You can destroy their offices. You can destroy the, you know, the prime minister or whatever, like the leaders in Hamas. But the idea of Hamas is not going to go away. Like, let's say now Israel is going to destroy Hamas. Like, let's say the the party, the militias are gone. You're going to tell me that Palestinians are not going to organize themselves again and say, well, hey, you killed my, my, my dad. You killed my uncle. You killed my leader. Why when they pick up the gun again? You know, it's, you know, is, let's put this in the American context. The war on terror. 9-11. Let's destroy Al-Qaeda. 22 year, years later, what happened? Al-Qaeda is in power. Uh, Taliban is in power. I'm sorry. Taliban is in power. Have we destroyed terrorism? No. It's there. Hmm. Uh, so this idea that you can just kill terrorism or kill violence, it doesn't, just doesn't work. We know this as a fact that you cannot, uh, that's not the way that you can defeat terrorism. What, what is the solution? So like, I just don't want anyone to think like, hey, oh, this is a typical Palestinian who's defending uh, Hamas. All I'm trying to do, and this is based on my Christianity and like, you know, don't come after me. I'm just saying everyone, everyone, including Hamas, including um, the IDF or the what we call the Palestinians, the Israeli occupation forces, the IOF, everyone is a carrier of God's image and likeness. Everyone yeah. has a spark of divinity. Everyone has yes. worth and dignity that is not dictated by what they do and their, or their sins or their crimes. This is a this is like God-given right, right? Like this is like in the American psyche, you know, we're endowed from by our, our creator with, with rights, right? And all I'm saying is like, hey guys, I just want you to understand the context. I want you to understand what leads people to extremism and, and violence and what leads them to commit horrible crimes. And that's yeah. all I'm trying to say here. But also, who is the, like, in, like, I want people to also understand how their culture, how the American psyche uh, as Americans who are products of, le- of a large and bloody legacy of colonization and oppression, I want they need to understand like um, what it means like to to call someone a savage. Who is a savage? Who is a terrorist? In the American mm. discourse, a terrorist is someone who deserves to die. Doesn't de- deserve due process. Doesn't deserve context. Is a person deserves to die, and that's the same person that we have historically called the savage. That's a person that we have uh, called also the slave, the black slave. These are people who have no dignity. These are properties. These are people that we have every reason to, every justifiable reason to like enslave them, kill them, put them in reservations and so on. And in many ways, the Palestinians have become that and, and also by extension, especially Hamas, because of their heinous like crimes and what they do, they are like the prototype, you know, they have, let's uh, What's his name? Lindsey Graham was saying. I was, like, I was just looking that up. He said, level kill, the place. What level his, the place. Kill them all. Kill them all. They kill have all. no dignity, yeah. no worth. No. Right. And and like there was some pushback in the media recently. It's like, hey, what about the children? Like people like in hospitals, they need electricity. And and they were like offended. How dare you ask us about children, Gazan um, children? When the World War II was happening, when we were bombing Dresden, we were not asking, what about the kids, right? When we yeah. bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we're not wondering, oh, there are Japanese ba- babies there. There are, like, mothers there. No, we bombed them. And that's and that's what I, like, this is kind of where this one warmongering, colonial, just nasty, like, anti, yeah. anti-Christ ideology that yes. people do not deserve any dignity. We need to kill them. And whether, whether it's bombing Dresden or 
you know, the Nazis bombing Britain or horrifying stuff they did in Poland and like France and the Auschwitz and the, the you know, the Holocaust and all that stuff. It's the same ideology that people have no worth. People yes. are just property to be killed and we can just fill in the blank and we can just, as we, as long as we fill the blank, we fill in the blank, we can just do whatever we want, whatever we, the blank we want to fill it with. No, I mean, um, and this, this is absolutely what is, I saw Lindsey Graham's comments and I thought that is, that is the Christian nationalism yeah, that, that, yeah, that yeah. they believe in, right? It's right. one that, that I, that just completely jettisons so many of the clear teachings of Christ, the hard right. ones, the right. real freaking, I mean, loving your enemy in this context is incredible. It has to be an incredibly difficult thing to think about and wrestle with, you know? Tim, you hit it on the, on the head. What does it mean? So because white nationalists and Christian nationalists, they want to have this Christian state, whatever that means. Right. Okay. Well, And they were like, we want to establish the rules of Christ, you know, the gospel, the Bible. It's like, okay, well, Jesus says, love your enemy. Right. What, what are you going to do with that? Right. So, right. Like if, especially those who want to take the Bible literally, like everything that Christ says, you know, like everything in the Bible. Okay, love your enemy. Yeah. Like, does that mean to kill babies? Right, <laughs> you know? right. You know, yes. Japanese or Germans or Palestinians. You know? right. Like so, it's this is part of that legacy there, and I think we need to be aware of. But also, I want to move beyond Hamas, and because I tried to emphasize the context, I don't think this was clear. The seventy year, seventy five years of oppression for the Palestinians, we have to deal with this, and and that's the thing. If 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 our heart goes out to Israel, uh, but your heart doesn't go out to the civilians who are dying and the children in Gaza. If 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 our, we're condemning Hamas, but in the same breath, without pausing, if we're not simultaneously condemning the Israeli government, if we're condemning the crimes being committed, the war crimes being committed right now in Gaza, um, and if you're not cond- condemning the American um, unconditional support for Israel, if we didn't care about what's happening in Palestine, the history of the Palestinians until Saturday, it's because you don't think that Palestinians are human, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. And this is kind of this is like speaking of white nationalism. This is the the entrenched white supremacist ideology that exists in the U.S. Right? Israelis are white, Palestinians are non-white. Mm. Right? So we care about the Israelis. We don't care about the Palestinian babies. My 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 this radical crazy idea of being like a follower of, of Jesus. I'm saying both of them deserve yeah. uh, equality and right and uh, rights and security and freedom. And a Jewish baby is just as precious and beloved as a Muslim Palestinian baby in Gaza. Yeah. And this is the radical message of Christianity that white nationalists and so many of our Christianity and so many of our, like how we, we think about like our faith, we just don't get it. And it's just so heartbreaking. And, you know, and like, why are we having so many, like such a, a, a like a, like overwhelming kind of global conversation about Hamas right now, when we're talking about 75 years of Palestinian oppression, mm. like before Saturday happened, this year has been the bloodiest year for Palestinians for the last 20 years, mm. not in the Gaza Strip, in the West Bank, like more than 300 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank, including 40 kids, 40 children and babies were killed, including like I just, this comes to mind, a three-year-old ba- a kid uh, in Bethlehem, the Israeli occupation forces came into their house, I don't know what they were doing, and the kid freaked out and ran away from the uh, the soldiers and had a heart attack and died, like just like that. 40, 40 kids were, were killed in, in, um, in the last year, you know, until now, 400. 
where were the panel discussions? Where was where were the podcasts? You know, <laughs> like right. like where were like where is the outcry about and the the rage and the indignation about the suffering of Palestinians? Nowhere. Like yeah. we are not human. We like we are like we're animals. We have no worth in the imagination, in in the politics, in the media, in the churches. Palestinian. I mean, if we because the West might be Islamophobic or we cannot like relate to Arabs and Muslims because they don't speak our language and they're Muslims and therefore they're bad or whatever. Palestinian Christians like myself are still are also absent. We there's no conception. What about Palestinian Christians? Mm-hmm. If we can't simp- if if Americans cannot sympathize with Muslims for whatever, I don't want to assume the worst in people, but for whatever cultural reasons or they're far away, they're brown. Do you care about your brothers and sisters in the faith? Right. Do you care about this the, the the Church of Christ that, like, not not to gloat and maybe this is like more of a joke, like we we protected Christianity for two thousand years. It's my ancestors of like the ancestors of Palestinians took the gospel to the world, you know. Like Paul is from that land, you know. Jesus is a Palestinian Jew from from that land, yeah. and Christianity spread because of the witness of the Church of Jerusalem. Yeah. Like, we know Christian Palestinians say we are the descendants of the Church of Jerusalem. We are the descendants of Pentecost. But for some reason, because Christianity is white, right? We, you know, we're not. We we're absent. We don't. We don't exist. Um, and this is like a hard truth that people we're not going to admit. But it's. I, th- I think for all practical uh, purposes here, if we understand white supremacy and the power of white supremacy in the American discourse, this is what what it is. I think at, at the heart of it, Palestinians are not human. Um, and if they do anything, if they if they attack uh, arm resistance, they're terrorists. Mm. If they um, uh, critical of Israel, then you're anti-Semitic because you're criticizing the Jewish people. If you are trying to push for non-violent resistance, for example, BDS, the most violent, um, um, the BDS is the non-violent movement of boycott, divestments, and sanctions, like a proactive, creative, non-violent ways to kind of put pressure on Israel to end the occupation. Mm. That's considered anti-Semitic because you're targeting Israel. Mm. Nothing, and if you write books and if you uh, if you publish, if you write poems, you're a provocateur. You're like trying to make trouble. You're. Uh, I was in a panel discussion today, and there was an Israeli woman, and she said, "Like we should not call this apartheid because apartheid is problematic." By the way, the description of Israel as an apartheid state has been, which connects it to South African apartheid has been um, the has been realized by many important human rights organizations like Amnesty International, like Human Rights Watch, even Israeli human rights organizations like B'Tselem are saying the reality in the ground in Palestine is in between the, the river and the sea, between the Jordan River and the sea. So all of the land is of apartheid, is of Jewish supremacy up and against over the Palestinians. There's no outcry. This is apartheid happening all over again. This is this is just like South Africa, mm. but if you remember, Christians were supporting South Africa, yeah. uh, the apartheid. Only later on in the eighties, um, and also like many evangelicals were saying, you know what? Like, um, the only problem we have with apartheid is that it's not allowing us to evangelize well. But otherwise, it, it's a good system. Mm. And like, um, there's some work has been done on the history of support for apartheid in evangelical circles, but we just like the church supported slavery, just like the church supported apartheid and now this reality that has been described as a settler colonial apartheid reality christians today americans the west in general have no 
no understanding that, wait, are we like, seriously, we're doing this again? Like, how many times do we as Palestinians have to say, hey, we exist, like, can we talk? Mm. <laughs> can we like present it well? Can we, and this is just, you know, politics, media, the, the mo- movies and TV shows and how the Arab and how the Muslim uh, is portrayed yeah. is horrendous. Um, so I'm, I'm, this dehumanization of the Palestinians is part and parcel of the whole conversation. We cannot talk about Hamas before we talk about this uh, dehumanization of the Palestinian. And for the long struggle, 70, Tim, 75 years. Mm. Too long. Yeah. <laughs> too long. Until when are we going to like be quiet? Right. Until when? Right. And, and Palestinians are saying, and like if, if like the radical voices, you know, are saying, we would rather die standing than die on our knees. Mm. You know, yeah. we would rather, there's like a famous poem that says we, we're dying standing like the trees, like the olive trees. Yeah. This olive tree doesn't die. It kind of dies in place, standing up, doesn't fall down. We're saying we're going to die standing up. Mm. And for many of them, and this is kind of the Palestinian resilience and, and love of land and fighting for freedom. But for many people, dying while standing means also standing up to the rights. It means carrying the gun and killing the enemy as, as we saw with, with Hamas. Mm. I don't know if this is mad beat like too much, but. But I think, like anyone who's listening to this, like we need to understand this legacy of racism and dehumanization that exists in our psyche and our practice. Listen, I, I, you, you said a lot of things that I think need to be said. I think the audience needs to hear it. It is so, and I, audience, I am, I'm with you. I'm in the audience in this conversation in so many ways. And I'm not sure how you're feeling, but I certainly, especially over the past week, have just realized, like, wow, how, how little I've known about the Palestine people, about, 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 about the Palestinians. I mean, dude, when I was a kid, up until like five years ago, I didn't know the word Palestinian. It wasn't even in like my vernacular. Yeah. You know, it was just Israel right. is under attack. That's all I know. Right. And friends, right. I want to, once again, I want to be very careful with how we're talking about this. You can critique the nation of Israel without being anti-Semitic. Uh, and, and you can you can critique, uh, critique Hamas and still want the liberation of Palestinians, uh, you know, in a Palestine exactly. to happen. Okay. That's a good so point that's too. very important here. So what, what, what me and Dan, or what, what Daniel and I are not saying is, oh my goodness, Jews don't have a right to exist or they don't have a right to have security and peace and freedom of their own. That's not what we're saying here. But what I am saying is that the way that my media and that my cultural context has taught me about this, it's pretty much just been these people are evil and therefore less than human. And therefore, if they get bombed and their kids die, too bad, so sad. But this Mm -hmm. side is the one that God is definitely on. And if we don't do all we can to protect, right. pray, send right. supplies, travel there ourselves if we need to, et cetera, um, not only will America lose out on the blessing of God, but God, God, God's people are now automatically, you know, uh, uh, under threat or under attack. And and listen, um, there are some layers as we've talked about with our other guests of of that have given us clarity of okay, we understand some of the other pieces that were moving in during that time of like the anti-Semitism that was on the rise, World War II, the Holocaust. We understand some of the pieces that went into the Zionist movement, okay? But as we're learning more and more, it was at a whole other people group's expense. Right. And so now we're in this situation where there's so much bloodshed, there's so much violence, people are dying all over the place. But it what seems clear to me, and this is just the data, is that when in every life is precious. Let's not forget that. When you said that earlier, Daniel, I totally agree. But if you look at the death tolls between between these two, you know, uh people or um countries, you know, whatever you want to call it, in this conflict, uh, one side is winning 
clearly. Okay, it's not even close. And that should tell us something on top of the fact that, you know, um, the the Gaza um, Strip is pretty much, like you said, a concentration camp at this point. That should just make us as Christians who are called to follow the way of Jesus, who are doing our best to love our enemy, who are doing our best to fight for the liberation of the oppressed, terms I use all the time. This is when rubber meets the road. And also when it gets really sticky, right? Because we don't want other people on the other side of this conflict dying either. We have a we have an obligation to love whoever our enemy is as Christ followers. And Daniel, my question to you is as a person who is in you know very much a Palestinian, right? That that is who you are. And I love that about you. It's it's so it's so necessary that 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 you do speak up and that you say these things. You're also, I know, a radically devoted Jesus person, right? And I know that I know that you as a person, based on our talks in the past, take nonviolence and take loving your enemy incredibly seriously as an ethic how how are you feeling with this are you in tension i mean what, what what's that tension like for you right now yeah yeah that's a good question yeah it uh, yeah i don't know if i can describe it as there is a tension there is a tension the the human desire for vengeance and wrath is is there mm. like i'm i'm a sinner as anyone else like there is seeing what's happening to my friends and family, seeing the, the kids being pulled out of rubble, yeah. uh, the under, from under the rubble, of course you're going to have like awful thoughts about it. Yeah. Um, you, I think this is going to be helpful. What you said about anti-Semitism. Um, I, I think my Christianity tells me this. If, if everyone is, is created in God's image and likeness, everyone is beloved by Christ, everyone, everyone is invited to the table, um, I need to, as a as a Christian, I need to fight against anti-Semitism. I need to stand alongside my brothers and sisters, as uh, my Jewish brothers and sisters, and stand against any vile attacks against them because of who they are. Mm. And because I do that, I also do the same thing for my people. Mm. Because I want justice for Palestine, I want justice for Jews. Mm. And these are not mutually exclusive. And I think in our ident like in our especially here like right now the climate in the US is insane. Like if you're if you're being critical of Israel, if you're waving a Palestinian flag, you're anti-Semite. And what I'm saying is like my desire for justice and freedom for my people yeah. is uh, is is universal. Like I want that for everyone. There's that kind of interconnectedness of our humanity that we're connected together that because I struggle for freedom Therefore, I struggle for my black brothers and sisters, you know, like for queer brothers and sisters, for, for, for Jewish blacks and sisters, because of my desire for freedom and to be treated as a human. How dare I dehumanize anyone else? Right, exactly. Like, there's just this, that's a contradiction in terms. Exactly. Um, and the, the problem is for both people, and this is both are guilty of it, is that we, for because of the tension and the conflict, 75 years, like I said, we have like developed this mentality of exclusion, like it's either us or them, you know, and, and, you know, and I mentioned how Israel, Israel was established as a Jewish homeland and that, that meant by definition, the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. The idea it was to create this, the fortress, the citadel of, of Israel at the expense of Palestinians. What, what I'm saying is the catastrophe of the Jewish people in the 20th century, the Holocaust that eventually accelerated uh, 48 and the establishment of the state of Israel is connected to the Nakba. The suffering of the Jewish people is connected to the suffering of the Palestinians. Mm. We're stuck in this land together. Palestinians are not going to leave. Jews are not going to leave. Yeah. And I'm saying that this, the Shoah, the, the Holocaust, and the Nakba, the Palestinian catastrophes, are intertwined together. Their suffering has also become our suffering. Mm. 
I don't, you know, and and I think we have to realize that moving forward that we need to come together and, and like understand our shared humanity and our shared worth. I totally understand. And this took me back in, to back up. I grew up, the only Jew I knew is is a soldier, is a soldier who killed my classmate, Johnny. Shot him in the neck in Bethlehem, Christian boy. We were like eight years old during the, we were like 13 years old, shot him in the neck, um, killed him. That's the only Jew I know, the sniper. And then later on, it became, became the guy who, you know, the soldier who sexually assaulted me at a checkpoint. It's the soldier who shot my cousin. It's, a show, it's a, the settlers who are attacking and burning like trees. This is the only Jew I know. Mm. Do you expect me not to hate Jews? <laughs> you know, like, it just makes sense, right? Like, that, that's what a Jew is. That's the one who is abusing me day in, day in and day out. Uh, Tim, I became a Christian, like the whole, like, typical evangelical praying for my salvation. On my side of my bed, as Israel was shelling Bethlehem, and I was really worried that I'm going to die. So I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer right now because I think I'm going to die. Mm. Like, I became a Christian, uh, you know, a born again Christian because I didn't want to die by this really bullet. Wow. <laughs> you know, like how messed, how messed up, how how messed up that is. It only took me Tim to just come to the U.S. honestly and and meet Jewish people and and just made incredible friendships with. I, I can think of a, a number of Jewish friends I made, especially in undergrad and grad school at the University of Chicago, who. Uh, and I just like these became my buddies, and we fell in love with each other. Like we 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 had this kind of connection. And I'm still like very close to to them, and and that's when I was able to like move out of my trauma and my pain and my my suffering. And then it's like, wait, I can humanize them right now. And it took me to be removed from that removed from that context of oppression to start that journey of healing, and then learning. You know what? Maybe I should take the commandment to love my enemy like more seriously. Mm. Um, so and that's kind of the thing that's kind of what my that's how my christianity comes through is to see the worth and the value of of the Jew, my jewish people and also for me to understand what the holocaust did to them this is kind of this is a problem this is a burden that and this is so unfair and this is like ugh, this is where like my anti-colonial kind of uh, impulses kind of come through uh, jews moved to palestine because of rampant racist christian anti-semitism yeah and Palestinians, the with our Nakba, with our catastrophe, with what what's what ha- what's happening right now is in many ways we are paying for the sins of of Europe, the pin the, yeah. the sins of the West, yeah. the Christians and their anti-Semitism, uh, you know, uh, the the Catholic Church and Protestant, the Lutheran Church supporting Nazism and and the horrific kind of theology and ideologies that were at, at place at you know a very powerful kind of in play here against the Jewish people. And that led to their exodus looking for a homeland and I'm paying for it. Yeah. But now I still have to do more work, especially as a Christian to come, you know what, what if I was in uh, Auschwitz? You know, how can I, how can, how can I put myself in their shoes? And Tim, this is hard work. This Palestinians are not ready. To, how can you expect a victim to like sympathize with a victimizer? We, right. we cannot do this. Right. And only by the grace of God, like honestly, like just took a lot of work and and patience and just God's work in this to be able to like just you know the, you know sorry for the Christianese, just for the for the spirit to work and like just learn how to like le- learn how to love my enemy and then how to make my enemy my neighbor, like. Just to finish the thought, we have two clear commandments from Jesus about this issue that I think is is relevant to me. Love your enemy, mm. which we talked about, yeah. and love your neighbor. Yeah. Whether I like it or not, as a Palestinian, these two are the same. My neighbor mm. and my enemy are the Jewish people in Israel, the Israelis. And 
I just have no choice but to love them. Mm. <laughs> and it's, I'm not saying this is like to show my piety or like this is hard work and this is a struggle that I always go through every time, especially something like this that happens. Yeah. Yeah. My commandment now, I just have to do with it. And, you know, like at core, I'm like a like a raging pacifist, like influenced heavily by nonviolent pacifism, Christian pacifism and nonviolent teachings. The church in Palestine has an incredible, incredible theology on nonviolence and so on. And I'm a product of that. And thank God for that theology. And we can talk about if Palestinian evangelicalism and Palestinian Christianity vis-a-vis the American church. But I'm a raging pacifist. I think this is the model of the kingdom of God that comes out from within, transforming our reality, bringing the excluded in, in, into the table. Um, Jesus proclaiming uh, his gospel in Luke 4 to be a gospel. He opens Isaiah and he says, today this is happening in your midst, the liberation of, the, of those who are, who are captive. And for me, this is literally the people in Gaza, mm. that the gospel is a message of literal liberation for the Palestinian yeah. people. Um, and we can go on and on about how we understand the Beatitudes and the whole like uber spiritualization of, of uh, the teachings of Jesus when he says those blessed are those who are hungry, who are hung, who hunger and thirst for justice. The, the word for righteousness in the Bible is actually should be translated as justice. I named my kid Micah, my wife and I, Shannon, we have a little boy, Micah, and we named him Micah like he was born in June. And and he's our prayer in Micah Micah six eight. We were hoping he would be born in June eight, just to fit with the verse. But he was born in June thirteen. Oh darn like, it! Come on, come on, come out, Micah. But we named him Micah because that's our prayer to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. Um, and that's kind of my. This is how I understand the gospel. This is how I understand the proclamation of the good news. The good news is for the Gazans. The good news is for the Palestinians, for the Muslims, for the Jewish Israelis. Yeah. And it's a radical calling, and I think us in the West, especially in the West, man, like we just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. we don't take Jesus seriously, especially those who claim that they take Jesus seriously. These are the ones who are not yeah. taking Jesus seriously. Hundred percent. But yeah. anyway, let's uh, take one more break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you about your take on some people who have made some headlines in their writings. So hang tight for a minute. Okay, so um, you know it's interesting because. Um, I'll be honest with you. I there are two there are two people who I consider more conservative slash moderate evangelicals who overall I've come to respect, and that is Russell Moore, who I, who I I've had on the show now twice. Uh, his most recent book, Losing Our Religion, is honestly it's a great read. It, it's powerful. I also have appreciated David French more and more for how he's talked more openly about just the problem of Trumpism and nationalism, and I think that's been great. I've been honestly very disappointed uh, in both of their responses to all of this, because, and, and here's why, because I, I think that they are more intelligent and smarter than the pieces that, 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 that they put out, which has pretty much been... Here's why you side with Israel, and here's why we have to defeat evil, and like no exceptions kind of vibe. And it's just like, oh man, like Russell, like I know that you know enough to talk about this conversation in the nuanced way that it needs to lead the people who I know listen to you, who will never listen to me, a little bit closer to the reality, like we've been talking talking about this entire interview, that Palestinians are humans too. They are full humans made in the image of God. And what's happened to them between 
the phosphorus and, and the bombings is, is inhumane and breaking all kinds of international uh, rules, et cetera, and children are dying. What are, I, I know for a fact you've read at least Russell Moore's stuff. I mean, what, what is your take on that? And like, what's your response to someone like Russell? Yeah, no, that's a good question, uh, Tim. So the, the article by Russell Moore is American Christians should stand with Israel under attack. Um, yeah, it's a problem. I I was very disappointed by Russell Moore, and I I don't know. I hopefully I would have a chance to chat with him at some point. Maybe you can connect us together. Sure. And David French. I'm a huge fan of of David French, and I follow the Holy po- uh, the Holy Post and oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and all on those discussions. And I'm a, I'm a fan of his thoughtful thoughtfulness and nuance and care. Um, and also Russell Moore, I was super impressed by his take against white, white nationalism and, and racism and what he went through with the SBC and so on. Yeah, but this, I agree with you. This was a hugely disappointing, Tim. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Now, um, he makes the point Hamas is evil, is pure evil. And I, and I don't think David French would like, would not, I think he would follow the same like argumentation. This is pure evil. And this is functioning, I think, within a just war theory paradigm. Um, the only solution for like extreme evil is to eradicate evil. Um, again, I, I think this is just by definition, definition is very problematic. Neither one of them is quoting Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if they do, but they're not quoting the Beatitudes and they're not quoting, you know, love your enemy. So I, I know that for sure. And I think this is a struggle. This is going to be a struggle that evangelicals uh, have to deal with. Do you take Jesus, the teachings of the kingdom seriously, or you're just kind of working with how you want to work out Romans, you know, 12 or 13, or like how you want to work out like the Old Testament and apply the Old Testament to this. I think Jesus, the Jesus method, the way of the kingdom is radically different from the way the world thinks. I think, excuse me, Russell, excuse me, David. I don't think you're functioning within a paradigm of the kingdom of God. I think you're functioning within the paradigm of the world. I think any other person could say the same thing you're saying and doesn't have to be a Christian. This is controversial, hot take. That's what Hamas says too. (laughs) Hamas says Israel has to be eradicated. Israel is a great evil. Israel did this to us for 75 years. Mm. This one, this is like, this is very going to be in hot water here. I'm comparing David and Russell to Hamas, but this warmongering ideology is why we have so much bloodshed and, and pain. And David French is, uh, I just I don't know what to say right now, but David French is also a product of American imperialism, of the American military. And I think, I don't think I'm misrepresenting him, but he defends the, the Iraq war a war that led to the destruction of of Iraq, killing 500,000 Iraqis, decimation of the Christian population in Iraq, and the creation eventually, not directly, indirectly, of ISIS. Right. I just, I I respect both of them well. I just do not see Jesus in this discourse, whether whether the American militarism, and this is my own radical anti-colonial kind of attitude, of pacifism and nonviolence and the way of the cross. The way of the cross is not the way of the gun. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. What does that mean? We have to unpack that. Um, yeah. And and Jesus was very clear about the, the way of the, the gospel, the radical way of Jesus turning the other cheek, which is not pacifism. It's not um, capitulation. It's radical nonviolent resistance of standing up, of fight, of refusing to slap back, but to give the other 
cheek to challenge the person to do it again. Yeah. This is standing up to what's right and like controlling the impulses for revenge and violence. And I think David and Russell, sadly, I love them. I learned a lot from them, but I think on this issue, they're missing the boat yeah. and they're more influenced by the American political military discourse of power, of might, of might is right. We are the best country in the world. Therefore, what we do is right. Mm. They're influenced more by that than by the radical call of love that we see in Jesus. Yeah. Um, I hope they won't take offense to this. I'm not. I'm assuming they're gonna listen to this. I don't think they will. But <laughs> I would be honored if they and, did. Like, hey, David, hey, Russell. But no, um, I, I doubt they would take offense they, to it. <laughs> yeah, but if they if they listen to it, I would love to engage with them. Hopefully, this not would, would not be offensive. But this is I. This is again me as a Palestinian Christian. Me as a Christian who's a Palestinian. Yeah, I am someone who lived alongside Muslims all my life. I actually, I'm doing theology at Notre Dame, but I'm working heavily on Islam. And that's going to, as a Palestinian Christian, I speak Arabic. Um, I have a Bible here on my back sh- my shelf and have a Quran next to it. Like I, those things come hand in hand together for me. I, re- I, I speak Arabic, the language of the Quran, and I, and I read the same Bible that you read, you know, the... Wow. Well, like now I read the NRSV, not the ESV. I used to do the ESV, but now I kind of moved. But uh, this is kind of my my back uh, my backstory being like reformed and restless. But <laughs> save that for later. Um, yeah. <laughs> not any of those anymore. But uh, but yeah, as a Christian Palestinian, I'm kind of we Palestinian Christians and Arab Christians, and and this is one of my biggest qualms with Russell. We are invisible. We are invisible to Russell, and we are invisible to David. Yeah. They might mention us in passing, but we have their, we play no role in how they think about the world, right? And how they think about Hamas, and how we think about Muslims and Arabs in general. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm. Maybe this is not fair to them. But when Russell Moore writes, "American Christians should stand with Israel under attack," there's no mention of the Palestinians. There's no mention of the Palestinian Christians. There's no mention about the context of of you know what we've been discussing here, the history, the legacy of of oppression, and it's hurtful and it's like very disappointing. And here, as you know, as like I'm in I'm in pursuit of an American citizenship, right? I my family has been naturalized. I've, I'm in the process right now. And like, you know, I'm the US is a second home for me. Like I'm Palestinian, but I'm like also very Americanized and I'm a product of the American educational system and a product of just the blessings of this country and the and the beauty and the people and the um and so on and so forth. Um uh, traumatized by so much of the pain in this country. Um, but I'm obviously I love this country. Right. That's why I'm here. Um and the potential, I think, of this country. Uh but many times I feel like I'm in like enemy territory. I feel like I am I don't belong here. Mm. I, I feel I'm just invisible as a Palestinian, right? Like uh, just the discourse. And it's not just, so putting aside what's happening in Gaza, we should never put that aside. But putting it aside for now, like when it comes to the political discourse with Biden and all of the Republicans and the whole government right now, the media right now, just like horrendous, like vile what you're hearing in the media. And also my brothers and sisters, like I'm also invisible too. Like I get if the the America, the U.S. has its own national interests, it feels it right. needs to support Israel, right. uh, democracy, and this kind of way. like because that's kind of Russell Moore's point. I appreciate him staying away from Christian Zionism, but he's saying this is a liberal democracy, and we need to like stand along the, the liberal. And, and like it is not a democracy; mm. it's a democracy for Jews. But that's it. Mm. Uh, and we can we can I can unpack that with you later if there's any kind of interest in this conversation. This is a country that controls populations, and these populations do not have representation. The, and the soldier that um, 
attacks attacked me and pushed me and and harassed me and killed and whatever i didn't vote for this military to come they they control my life and i have no way to i didn't vote for them so it's a, it's a democracy only for jews but not for the the 5 million palestinians in the west bank and the gaza strip and even within israel israel is not a true democracy there are very specific laws in israel that give more gives preference to jews up and against non-Jews in Israel, non-Jew, non-Jewish citizens, especially Palestinian citizens of Israel. Mm-hmm. There's a nation-state law in Israel that says only Jews in Israel have self-determination, i.e. 20% of the population that is Palestinian in Israel does not have self-determination. This is not democracy. Mm. This is this is Jewish supremacy. And this, this is what we say when we say about apartheid. This is Jewish supremacy, not just in the West Bank, also within Israel, being a Jew, is on top and then Palestinian or Arab Israelis, they call them, or they call themselves Palestinian Israelis, they come like third. And then Palestinians under occupation in Jerusalem or the Gaza Strip and you know, yeah. at the bottom of the list. Yeah. This is not a democracy. Yeah. So like the, the pretext is like, we need to do this because they're facing evil and there are democracies like, I'm sorry, you're a very intelligent and thoughtful. You do not understand what's happening yeah. here. And so there's no context, there's no background, there's no understanding of the legacy for 100 years of colonization. Rashid Khalidi, an important name, maybe you can have his name in the show notes. Uh, Rashid Khalidi wrote this book, The 100-Year War on Palestine, an incredible book, just kind of details the the wars that basically were committed on, uh, you know, the Palestinian struggle against war from the British Empire moving forward. There's no context there. There's no understanding from Russell or from David about this legacy of oppression and violence. And and if you don't want to listen to the Palestinians because we're biased, because we're not white and, sorry, not, not American, if Israelis themselves, generals and human rights lawyers and others yeah. are saying this is actually apartheid, like generals, general, Israeli generals are saying this is apartheid. Yeah. Human rights organizations, Israeli Jews, Jewish Israelis are saying this is apartheid. And you want to tell me this is a liberal democracy? Right. Like, what, what, okay, well, I guess you, you understand my frustration. 100%. So there is that. There's no understanding of the reality on the ground. There's no sympathy or empathy for the Palestinians. Like I said before, Tim, we do not exist. We are terrorists. We have no value. We are have no worth. And another point he, uh, and then the point about Israel being a democracy, and the third point, which like really like kind of just hurt me a lot, is um, like the, the last paragraph almost the last paragraph when he's talking about justice. Yeah, no, this is the last paragraph. No one wanted to wake up to a war in what was already a tinderbox of the world order. But war has come, and we should recognize terrorism for what it is. That's fair. We should also recognize the justice of a forceful response to that terrorism. He's saying that he didn't qualify, didn't say it should be done with restraint. Um, like David French, a lawyer, he's not saying anything about like international law. We have to right. abide by the rules of conduct. Yeah. He's saying whatever the response is, is justice. And I'm like, how dare you yeah. use this word to describe what Israel is doing right now? Mm. How dare you say this is justice, the killing of 400 babies right now in Gaza? Mm. And, and, and like, you know, like, obviously I'm like, this is frustrating to me, right? But like, um, he, he's an ethicist. You know, it's like, why are we missing this? Like, how how do you miss this? This is obvious. And you cannot tell me about, uh, he uses a phrase of moral clarity here. There is no ambiguity in this issue. Yeah. What do you mean? 
where's the clarity here like this is um yeah obviously i'm getting animated about this but this is obviously frustrating yeah and and of course palestinian christians were just we're just yeah we're not there we and and i and i mentioned this the actually before i talk about this and this is where like i'm gonna tread lightly and like i'm sorry russell i'm gonna say this i worry david and russell are also despite their like incredible beautiful um position against racism and white supremacy they're peddling in the same water this is the same white supremacist water that sees the other the non-white as worthless mm. They they they're aware of that legacy. They repented, I think, from that legacy, this history of like slavery and and racism sure. and white supremacy. But this is the same legacy where like Palestine. So the savage at the time was the was the native and became the black, and by now the Palestinian is a savage. There's so for him justice in that article includes the killing of babies and women. You know, just like it was okay to enslave blacks, just like it was okay to do this to the Indians. This is the same legacy of white supremacy. Mm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I, how do we explain this? Right. How do you explain that Palestinians have no identity, no worth, no story to tell, no, no nothing? There's no complication. This is a binary. Right. This is a simple binary yeah. thinking of of colonialism. This is how colonialism worked. Yeah. These are the savages that we can take over. This is India. This is Africa. This is the native, the, the natives. This is the Aztecs, the Mayans, all of them. Yeah. This is how we take it over. Yeah. And. That same legacy of the binary colonization of of indigenous populations is still happening. It was the indigenous in the uh, the, the Americas, the First Nations in Canada, the Aboriginals in um, in Australia. It's the same legacy that they have nothing. Yeah, they're nothing. Right, uh, and that's kind of just sad to admit that we thought we moved away from this. We we moved on from you know racism and so on, but unintentionally, I think, and um, Russell and David are dabbling in the same they're swimming in the same water still yeah fair points i mean daniel i appreciate you making so much time i know it's late at night i want to respect that time but any, any final thoughts you, you want to share here with the audience before i let you go and again i i can't thank you enough for for really just doing so much of this emotional labor for us giving mm -hmm. us this perspective and just sh telling us what it's like a being uh, you know, in um, in Palestine and, and what, what it's like just as someone who is Palestinian and just all the layers to that and helping mm. us really understand that, hey, like this stuff comes from somewhere. It doesn't happen in the vacuum. It's not like in the movies where someone wakes up and goes, I'm going to be the evil supervillain now because I just like to mm. be evil. Like there are things that go into this. So I appreciate right. all that. And, and, and any final thoughts before I let you go? Yeah, I guess that kind of follows my previous point about <laughs> hey guys, we're here. Uh, just I, my encouragement to um, this whoever is listening to this, guys, just pay attention. Just be aware of this. Just be sensitive to all of this stuff, and just stay away from this warmongering mentality. We need to understand how this just war theory and this kind of we are the good people and therefore we can do whatever we want mentality is super harmful. Um, and secondly. Um, what I said about Hamas and anti-Semitism and all that stuff, like, please just, just be aware that there is complexity in the world. Mm. Like, we, you can condemn Hamas. What Hamas did is heinous, is despicable. Um, and anti-Semitism is despicable. And, and you can say the same thing. Like, you can say both things at the same time. 
because and just make sure you have that moral clarity that you can be critical of both and the policy like i said and i'm going to repeat this again if in case this was missed the struggle for the policy our fight for for a free palestine goes hand in hand for the for the freedom of everyone else mm. blacks everyone else yeah. and 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 freedom of jews and from against anti-semitism and going back to the Palestine issue, just step up. There's a lot of work. My biggest disappointment, I think, with Russell Moore and, and David French and literally almost every other theologian in the U.S., we have a rich tradition of Christian the- of Palestinian theology. We have we have written a lot. We've written in Arabic. We've written in English. We mostly we actually mostly wrote in English for the American audience, mm. and um, and we exist and we have a lot to say. Like not to like boast about you know look at us you know but we have some experience being being witnesses for Christ for like two thousand years we have a, a long tradition um, we've processed and we worked with the Bible in you don't have to agree with us you just like there's something that we are offering the world and like we're all we're asking is that just you notice us like hi we exist it's like seriously like and pick up a book like read anything by a Palestinian just any book and I can recommend I can give you a list of books um, Tim you can include it in the show notes. Um, but Palestinian Christians have written a lot. We've said a lot. Whether it's evangelicals, we also exist, and whether it's like mainstream Catholic Orthodox, Palestine is a very religiously diverse society. We have so many different. We have the Samaritans, and we have the Copts, and we have uh, Syriacs, and we had Arme- We have Armenians, Orthodox. All of all these denominations are there in the crucible of the faith. Um, so, like, engage with this. There's a lot that we evangelicals have written on all of this issue. We uh, the Bible has been weaponized against us, uh, Zionist Christians, and thankfully Russell Moore is very clear on this issue. He's, from the get go, is like this is not a he doesn't ascribe to Zionism to Christian Zionism. Christian Zionism is a huge problem. Thankfully, God is uh, thankfully uh, Russell isn't didn't buy into it, but it's super influential. Um, whether it's Biden who says I'm a Zionist. Uh, the conservatives who just very um, dispensationalists and yeah. many evangelicals and Pentecostals and so on who are super like dispensationalist and Zionist, um, and it's a it's a it's a scourge. It's a huge problem in in Christianity. The Bible has been weaponized to justify the the colonization and the oppression of the Palestinians. The Palestinians have no role in God's work in the world. Uh, God's purposes can be fulfilled by the Jews being in, in Palestine, and the land is empty. There's no one there. It's yeah. just for them. Yeah. It's a very racist ideology. Thankfully, Russell doesn't ascribe to it, but it's super influential. Yeah. Uh, and we have an, opened the Bible again. It's like the Bible is used against us. They use they use Exodus and they use Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They, they use Romans uh, 9 to 11 against us. And and we like try to restore this. Like, is this is the Bible? Does God hate us? Right. Is the Bible against us? And we reopened the Bible and we just found the Bible is to be a text of freedom and liberation and beauty and goodness for me. And it's a gospel, a gospel that is good news for the Palestinian and for the Israeli and for the American. And like hopefully you can you can insert the Palestinian in that equation as well. That is actually good news for the Palestinian. So what does that mean practically? Yeah. So that's kind of my encouragement. Just you know, just engage with this stuff. I'm happy to provide resources um, for the audience. Um and I'm happy to talk for, uh, f- further with you about all of this issue, especially about Palestinian theology and Palestinian liberation theology and how we have been dealing with these issues. But yeah, that's kind of my encouragement. My encouragement. And last point, when it comes to pilgrimage and um, trips to the Holy Land, um, it's not the Holy Land. It's a very broken place. 
But it's also not just Israel. I guess you want to go to Israel, but also there's Palestine. Mm. There's a Palestinian society. The churches that exist in Israel and in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, these are the churches that have been maintained that we as Palestinians have been worshiping in. Do not go to the Holy Land, quote-unquote Holy Land, to look at the churches and ignore the brothers and sisters who have been praying and kept these alive for you, Mm. to come and watch and pray in them and take pictures of them. We exist. Like, you want to come to the Holy Land, Go to Jerusalem, which is East Jerusalem, the old city is Palestinian. Most of the people there are are Palestinians. Go to Bethlehem too, my hometown. You know, go to Hebron, see what's happening, the horrendous stuff in Hebron. There's like this this, this, um, propaganda, this is like a a big industry of tourism that shields the tourists from the Palestinian territories. They don't meet with the Palestinians. They don't meet with the Christians, the churches. They just go jump from one church to the other, take pictures, read the Bible, go to the Galilee, and then leave. A no encounter with the living stones, the people who, the Palestinians, especially the Christians, but Palestinians in general, there's no encounter. And that's also, there's a lot of work to be done there. Like, how do we meet them? You know why we're invisible? You know why we are the terrorists? And like, we have no worth in the American psyche because even in their tourism, we don't even exist. Mm. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of work that that I am asking, I'm hoping and I'm praying that Christians would, need to do yeah. to unpack all of this to examine all these things and kind of do better and there's work to be done in the political sphere with lobbying and speaking to your representatives and all that stuff and the, your government um, but maybe that's beyond what we can do but if none of that works for you at least can you pray can you pray for the peace of jerusalem when we talk of peace we don't talk about cessation of violence and conflict we're talking about uh shalom an establishment of uh justice of when everything is made right when palestinians can live in dignity and freedom after 75 years where jews can live in security israelis can live in securities and 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 peace that is real biblical shalom yeah not the domination of the boot over the neck of the palestinians that's not peace um and that's kind of my prayer and hopefully um hopefully um People would think about these things and, and you know, be the ambassadors of Christ and be the hands of feet of Christ, especially in the context of Palestine and Israel. Daniel, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know that what you said for sure has made people think and, and I think change a lot, a lot, hopefully a lot of their perspectives. So thank you. Um, do you have any work anywhere? Can folks follow you online if they want to? Do you want to plug anything away for social media? Um, I, yeah, I can provide, I don't, I can provide my Twitter. I, I'm not really active on Twitter, but my social media is Daniel Banura, just my, my full name. I'm launching a podcast soon. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, Across a Divide. It's coming out in a month. Um, basically it's Christian, Palestinian and American reflection on politics and the situation in Palestine, Israel. It's a group of Palestinian evangelicals and American evangelicals kind of hosting the podcast together and having conversations about faith oh, that's and politics great. in the Palestinian context. So it's across the divide. Hopefully it, it would be out by the time you listen to this and uh, maybe we can put it in the show notes for people to follow it. Sounds good. Daniel, again, thanks for your time and we'll talk again soon. 